Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me, and please be prepared for spoilers. I don't think I have any updates for y'all. I've had a, a couple of months that have been busy with other things, but I have read some excellent books lately that I am excited to share with you over the next couple episodes. But for now, let's just get started. This time, we are talking about The Phantom of the Opera by Gaston Leroux. Here is the summary. Strange things are going on at the Paris Opera House. A mysterious phantom, a skeleton in dinner dress, is wreaking havoc amongst the singers and the backstage staff. When new managers take over and dismiss the rumors of the opera ghost, the terror really begins. Who is the mysterious figure stalking the stage at night? How can he be everywhere at once and enter and leave locked rooms at will? And what is his connection to the beautiful and talented young soloist, Christine? The Phantom of the Opera was first published in French in 1909 as a serial story in a newspaper. The full volume was published in 1910, and an English translation was published just a year later. It is partly inspired by true events at the Paris Opera, including the infamous Chandelier Crash. Our author, Gaston Leroux, was born in Paris, France in 1868. He was a journalist and author of detective fiction. He's best known for The Phantom of the Opera and his 1907 novel, The Mystery of the Yellow Room. He wrote quite a few other novels and short stories and also helped form a film company. He died in 1927. Now, chances are good that you know the basics of this story already. It's another one like Frankenstein and Dracula, where the story has become kind of part of our cultural conversation. However, that doesn't mean you know what the original text is, and I've found that it's good to get back to the source material to read the original works so that you know what the original author was saying, and it helps to give you perspective on adaptations. Probably the best-known adaptation of this story is Andrew Lloyd Webber's 1986 musical. It is the longest-running show in Broadway history and has been staged over 13,000 times since 1986. This is the part where I have to admit that I've never actually seen a stage production of The Phantom of the Opera. I did have a brief phase where I was obsessed with the 2004 movie with Gerard Butler, if that helps. If you point me to where I can watch a stage production of it, like online, I promise I will watch it. I just don't have time to go and see it in a theater right now. As much fun as it is to talk about adaptations, that's not what we're here to talk about. We are here to talk about the book. And the book begins with a framing device, which, as you may remember, I talked about this in my episode on The Princess Bride. A framing device is a story outside the main plot which helps to inform the main plot of the book. And our framing device is the author reassuring the reader that this tale is true. 
that evidence has been found and his own investigations led him to believe in the tale that he is about to unfold. This is something you see fairly frequently in classic fiction. The author will say they found a manuscript or interviewed a person who heard the story from someone else. You get the idea. You see this in Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, Lost Horizon by James Hilton, and The Turn of the Screw by Henry James, to name a few. The prologue begins with the unparalleled line, in which the author of this singular work informs the reader how he acquired the certainty that the opera ghost really existed, in all capital letters. And then the author unfolds how mysterious things have been uncovered recently in the Paris Opera House, how he met a man known only as the Persian who told him a fantastic story about the ghost, and how he came to conclude that the opera ghost was real. It is also the story of the mysterious disappearance of a young couple, Christine and Raoul, and how the author believes they are tied to the story of the ghost. And now, the author takes us back in time to around 30 years ago. We must follow many people, not just one or two, in order to understand what's going on. Strange things are afoot at the Paris Opera House. There are rumors of a ghost causing chaos and inciting fear amongst the chorus and the ballet girls. The old opera managers are suddenly retiring and a new manager is coming in and one of the stagehands is found dead. Now, I don't know if you know this, but theater people are a superstitious lot. Rumors grow and spread quickly through the opera. Everyone is on edge, seeing a specter in every shadow. Well, almost everyone. The new managers think the ghost is a prank. There can't seriously be a ghost in the opera to whom they are obliged to pay 20,000 francs a month. That must be a little joke that the old managers are playing on them. And the managers provide a kind of fun shenanigans-filled side plot here, as their paranoia leads them to suspect first the old managers, then all of their employees, and then each other of being the instigators of this ghostly plot. Our main players in this drama really are the ghost and Christine, but they are the ones we initially know the least about. We also have Raoul, who is convinced for most of this book that he is in a romantic drama. Meanwhile, people keep getting murdered, blackmailed, or disappeared. Christine will describe horrors beyond comprehension happening to her, and Raoul's question will be, but was the unspeakable horror hot and into you? Bless his heart, he's a little distracted. I do appreciate Raoul, even if I make fun of him a little bit, because Without him there to witness and to care, Christine might have disappeared forever with no one the wiser. And I do also really like Christine. She is straight up not having a good time since her father died. Her father swore to send her the angel of music to keep her company after his death. And you just have to think about the mindset of someone who only has her father's dying promise of divine aid to look forward to. She is so kind, or maybe empathetic is the best word, 
It's her downfall and her salvation, as any good character trait should be. And there's also a point in the book where Raoul is trying to tell her what to do, and she says, Listen, pal, if I want to go be a ghost living in the cellar of the opera house, that's my business. Which, good for her. I mean, she really did need help to deal with the ghost haunting her pretending to be an angel, but let her come to that conclusion on her own, buddy. Another thing that really stuck out to me in this book was that Raoul and Christine are constantly referred to as children. It really drove home how young and naive they are and how unprepared they are for the danger they find themselves in. And it's a little difficult to lay out this story because for most of the time we see the effect well before we understand the cause. So Christine, the Persian, the managers will all be doing something strange, and it's not until much later that you understand why and what they were up to. Which, of course, is how this is supposed to work, because this is a mystery and a horror book, so you do need the suspense. Anyway, after not seeing each other for a long time, Raoul sees Christine at the opera, witnesses her grand debut on the stage, and goes to speak with her, full of fond memories of their childhood spent together. Christine, however, sends him away with barely an acknowledgement. Raoul thinks this is strange and goes a little overboard and starts following her. He witnesses strange things. He hears a man's voice speak to her in a seemingly empty room, sees her vanish through a mirror. He confronts her, but she refuses to tell him anything. Then, suddenly, Christine disappears for two weeks. Raoul tries to find her. In fact, he's one of the only people looking for her, but to no avail. And then just as suddenly, she reappears. On her return, she asks Raoul not to ask any questions, to pretend nothing is wrong. He has mentioned before that he would like to marry her, and now she asks him to play at being engaged. She promises, finally, to tell him what's been going on. Keeping an eye on every shadow, she takes him to the roof of the opera house, under a statue of Apollo, who, among other things, is the god of the protection of children, and she tells Raoul about the strange voice that she has been hearing. She thought it was the angel of music, the angel her father swore to send to her. What else could it have been? It taught her music, seemed to know everything that happened to her, came from nowhere accompanied by strange music. Then Raoul re-entered her life, and he heard the voice too. It wasn't only in her head, and once Raoul was there, the voice became jealous and angry. Christine began to believe that it was no angel after all, simply a man. But she was afraid to lose the angel, to lose this last promise of her father's, and so she kept sending Raoul away. Then, at the urging of her angel, she follows the phantom voice through a mirror and into his realm, the cellars and secret passages of the Paris opera. And there, in his little house by the underground lake, deep beneath the opera house, she realizes her angel of music is the same as the ghost who has been haunting the opera, and more than that, 
He is just a man. A hideous man named Eric, who lives in the basement, but still just a man. He has a skull-like face, which they refer to as a death's head, and eyes that glow in the dark. He is a genius of music and engineering. He was one of the people who helped design the opera house. We later unlock his tragic backstory, which actually includes a lot of atrocities that he has committed, so... Nevertheless, he's just a dude. He may sleep in a coffin and have weird glowing eyes, but he's a normal person. Super, super normal. I want to talk more about him later. Let's get back to Christine. She spends two weeks trapped with Eric. He claims to love her, that he'll do her no harm, but nonetheless, she is trapped. It's chilling to read about Eric professing his love for her, weeping at her feet while she is too terrified to move or react at all. I appreciated that the book took this angle on it, because no matter what Eric is saying, what he is doing is frightening her. When she escapes, after spending weeks convincing the ghost that she loves him so that he will let her go, she is afraid. She's sure that he's watching her every move, keeping tabs on her and Raoul. And all the while Christine is telling her story, under the protection of Apollo, there is a shadow stalking them. I'm going to read you a little bit from this chapter. Christine stopped and laid her head on Raoul's shoulder. They sat like that for a moment, in silence, and they did not see did not perceive the movement at a few steps from them of the creeping shadow of two great black wings, a shadow that came along the roof so near, so near them, that it could have stifled them by closing over them. Christine and Raoul make a plan to run away together. Christine knows that if the ghost, if Eric catches her again, he won't let her go, that she won't survive, really. Raoul wants to leave immediately, but Christine promised that she would sing on stage one last time. I would wish that Christine wasn't so empathetic, that she had run immediately and abandoned her promise to Eric, but without it, the story would end very differently. And again, this is great character work, just in general. Positive character traits can have negative consequences. Her empathy is putting her at risk. Of course, during Christine's final performance, in the middle of it, she's stolen off the stage. Disappeared, really. One moment she's there and the next she's gone. Chaos ensues. The police arrive and they have their eyes set on Raoul as the culprit. After all, it's well known that he is obsessed with her. The new managers are incommunicado, obsessing over a safety pin for some reason, and Raoul is about to run out into the streets to try to find her by himself. No one wants to listen to his tale of a ghost stealing Christine. Enter the Persian. Do you remember the Persian? The author cites him as the definitive source for this book. He's been mentioned a time or two, lurking mysteriously. I really think he could have been given a name. I mean... His servant gets a name. Why doesn't he? Do you know why? Please tell me. Anyway, 
He stops Raoul and leads him into the depths of the opera cellars, promising to help him free Christine. The cellars and secret passages are a maze, and every second they're barely a wall away from the searching police. Not only that, the ghost could be anywhere. On the way, the Persian tells his own story, his own history with the ghost. The rosy hours in Mazenderan, the tortures Eric invented for the amusement of a sultana, the secret passages and canny castles he constructed, how Eric had to flee or be killed, how the Persian helped him escape and was exiled in turn. The Persian hadn't interfered before. He saw Christine with Eric, but thought she was there of her own free will. He is also afraid of Eric. He knows how volatile he can be. But since he knows now that Christine has been taken against her will, he won't stand by and let Eric trap her in darkness. Uh, Unfortunately, the Persian and Raoul end up in one of Eric's many death traps. The cellars of the opera are full of them. On the other side of the wall, they can hear Eric threatening Christine offering her a choice. Either she agrees to marry him, or he blows up the opera house during the night's performance, killing everyone there. Separated by one wall, but unable to break through to her, Raoul begs Christine not to. But of course she does. She agrees to marry Eric to save everyone's lives. But that's not the end of this tale. Christine must beg Eric to save the Persian and Raoul from the death trap. The Persian is released, but for a long time he has no idea what happened to Raoul or Christine, whether Eric let them live. The Persian tries to tell the police what happened, where to look for the missing pair, but is ignored. He writes his story and he waits, and not long after, he receives a visitor. Eric, the ghost strangely weak. Eric claims that he is dying and has released Christine and Raoul. That Christine's quote-unquote willingness to marry him was enough for him. That he is dying of love and has released her. The Persian believes him this time, is moved by his story and his agony. And it seems like a very sudden change of heart for Eric to have after he's been obsessed with Christine for so long. But I don't know, maybe if you've spent your whole life alone and hated because of the way you look, and, you know, maybe the fact that you build torture machines, it's whatever, maybe all you need to change is a little empathy. Our epilogue briefly covers that Raoul and Christine have disappeared and no one really knows what happened to them. Perhaps, says the author, he will someday seek them out in the hopes of hearing Christine sing, Christine who was taught by the angel of music. And he ends the story with his final proofs, evidence of the ghost's existence, and the news that recent excavations under the opera house have uncovered a corpse, a corpse the author believes to be the ghost himself. So, that's The Phantom of the Opera. I really enjoyed it. 
I've been reading more classics lately, and this one has been on my shelf for a decade or so, which makes this another backlog book. I'm crushing it, you guys. Now, I just want to briefly mention that the treatment of Eric reminded me of Frankenstein's creation, where the creation is constantly called a monster and is outcast due to a horrifying appearance. I think there could be a lot of really interesting connections drawn between these two stories that were written almost a hundred years apart. If you want more media like this, I kind of suggest Frankenstein by Mary Shelley. And if you want a humorous take on The Phantom of the Opera, a more humorous take on The Phantom of the Opera, I suggest Masquerade by Terry Pratchett. Also, if you want to read this book, it is available for free online at Project Gutenberg and I will include a link to that in the show notes. Join me next time to hear about Kaikiyi by Vaishnavi Patel. Have you read this book or next episode's book? I'd love to hear what you think about it. You can email me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that right now is to rate and review it or just share it with a friend. You can find the pod on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast or at BacklogBooks.com. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at JosephMcDade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.